Welcome to the You Need More Money podcast. I'm your host, Matt Monero, where I come to each and every week from my studio in Dallas, Texas. You know, Dave Ramsey says you don't need to worry about your credit score. I guess he means have enough money so that your credit never matters because you're never going to borrow money for any... I, I don't even know what he's talking about, to tell you the truth. I mean, your credit matters, man. I'm in the credit business. We finance truckers. We finance thousands of truckers. We look at thousands of credit applications a year. And I'm here to tell you, your freaking credit matters. So the show is called You Need More Money. So today I have Carl Scaramuza on it, becoming my new friend, Carl, who is a credit expert. And we're going to dig into the importance of why, as much as I love Dave Ramsey, I totally disagree with this idea that you don't have to worry about your credit score. Dude, your credit matters, right, Carl? A hundred percent your credit matters, right? But you know he says that, right? I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand. Look, credit matters for a number of different things. Number one, good credit allows you to take advantage of leverage, which is a key component to getting wealthy, using someone else's money, whether it's, again, Dave Ramsey says, pay your house off. Well, I'm not really so sure why you should pay your house off. I mean, if you pay your house off and you have a $500,000 house and you have 500 grand worth of dead money, when you could have borrowed 500 grand against that house at three and a quarter or three and a half, and you can put that money into an index fund and make six to 9%, sounds like it's a pretty dumb idea to pay your house off, if you ask me. The index fund's gonna throw off the cash flow to pay for your house, but you gotta have good credit to do it. People gotta understand this, Carl, right? I mean, there's so much bad information out there. And I am a huge Dave Ramsey fan, but there is an evolution that occurs sooner or later when you get out of broke. Some of the strategies that Dave Ramsey talks about are not really appropriate anymore. The next strategy of getting rich is the strategy of using leverage. Leverage is someone else's money, someone else's time. If, it's, if you're in the construction business, it's someone else's back to dig the ditch. That's called leverage if you really want to break it down. So let's get into it today. Carl, what, what do you see as the primary mistakes that people are making with their credit. Let me go back just a second to add on that. I say all the time that great credit is not just a necessary evil to acquire things. It's the primary tool to creating wealth. Mm -hmm. It's, It's that important. It really is. So that's dated information. If somebody's saying you don't need good credit in order to create wealth, I totally disagree with that strategy. You know? Look, let me let me give you an example. When when we um, sign on a new bank, right? Who wants to buy our loans? Um, they are the no matter how long we've been in business and how much business we can drive to them, they're pulling my credit. Period. End of story. They're not pulling my credit to say, well, if I have a five fifty credit score, or I have an eight hundred credit score, that they won't do business with me. But it's a character reference. They want to know, am I a dirtbag? And look, bad things do happen to good people. Medical bills hurt credit scores. But I'm going to get into that. I want you to be the, edu- the, the expert on all that. But So you can, ha- you can be a wonderful person and have a low credit score. But the point is, you've got to take steps to fix it. So I really want to get into that. Let's go back to the question, Carl. And thanks for that clarity on it, because I agree with you a 1,000%. What are the common mistakes that most people are making when it comes to credit? Well, you know, I have five stages of credit that I like to talk about, okay? Um, You know, first of all, FICO scores range from 300 all the way up to 850. 
Okay. So we want to get you into that 800 FICO club. So, you know, range, the first range, the first stage is three to 400 credit scores. Most likely, Matt, that means you're going through something right now. Stuff's happening to you right now. You're going through some kind of circumstance, whether it's circumstantial or whether it's habitual and you have bad habits, either one of those, those buckets, right? Yeah. Uh, stage two, which is the 500 FICO club, okay? The, the clouds are starting to clear a little bit, right? You're still carrying some of those bad habits, uh, but you can kind of start to see a light at the end of the tunnel starting to come out of that mess. Now, the 600 FICO club, right, stage three, that's where you start to have the ability to maybe acquire an asset or two. Maybe you're buying a primary residence. Maybe you're getting that job that you want that your neighbor has, right? You're keeping up with the Joneses. That's that when you talk about that false positives. I think a lot of false positives are going to fall into that 600 FICO range, Mm. Okay. And then we start to get into the 700 FICO club, which is the fourth stage, right? Where that's, that's a good place to be. You're starting to get favorable terms, maybe low rates, maybe 0% financing, right? And then you use those favorable terms to get toys, right? You're buying personal toys. Maybe it's a Ducati at 0% for 36 months, whatever you want, you're getting toys. But it's also, that club is the beginning of business funding, right? Business credit. So the real club, the last stage, the final stage is the 800 FICO club. That's where you want to get to. And before I talk about that club, through my journeys, I'm seeing people that have large egos when it comes to where their credit scores are. Mm. They're, they're on credit karma and they have a 720 credit score and they think their credit's great. Well, the scores range from 300 to 50. So why not shoot for those scores as high as possible, right? So when you get to that 800 club, this is a club. It's absolutely key to creating wealth because what you're able to do, Matt, is you're able to leverage your personal credit in order to take risk, right? In order to get business funding, project financing, This is the key. You used a really important word, which is character. Matt, let me ask you a question. I'm watching you scale and build your business. Your journey is amazing. I love the book. Guess what? Do all your problems go away? Are people still looking at your credit when you're scaling your commercial business? Yeah, dude. I mean, it's a a prerequisite at a certain level of borrowing that they're still – looking at your credit. And look, I know there are going to be naysayers who say, well, the idea is to only do everything without personal guarantees and corp only. So, so what? Let's, let's talk about that. So what? So the lender realizes that you're not committed to your business so that they know that you know that you're not putting your personal money at risk anymore because you're going to tank the business and screw the lender on it. I mean, that I'm the lender. That's the way we look at it. Why wouldn't you step up and guarantee your business? Well, because your credit stinks. That's why you're asking for corp only. My best, we, we get a personal guarantee on 98% of all of our loans, right? And those 800s are like, of course, it's no problem. Let's go. Send me the docs. Nobody fights you on that. No brainer. I just had a customer recently go in for, you know, $100,000 business line. 
shows up with a 740 FICO score. And guess what they said? It's good, yeah. but we could probably get you more if you had 780 or 800. And that's the difference right there. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, I mean, you got a quote here. No one has ever achieved any greatness, any kind of greatness by playing it safe or without, you know, that, that, that's the key right there is you've got to borrow other people's money to create wealth. It's, it's huge. I do believe that um, uh, if you want big, right? If you want your, by the way, I was going to tweet this the other day and then I decided against it. But my tweet was going to say, if you include, if the equity in your home matters to your personal financial statement, you're thinking too small. Because one of the things I have learned in the wealthiest people that I uh, do business with and know is when I get their personal financial statements, some don't even put their home on it anymore because it means so little to what their personal financial statement is. That is so counter to the information that's being pushed out in the marketplace, which is your, your home is your primary source of, source of wealth. And I get it. But my response to that is, then you're thinking too doggone small. Way too small. Way, Way too, too small. small. So let's talk about these phases because I want people to understand that an eight, that all of credit is made up of a few systematic things. It's a fairly clear algorithm in my opinion, but you're the credit expert, so I'd like you to expand on this. What is the credit score made up of? Well, there's, there's a bunch of different buckets. There's five buckets. At the top of the bucket, right, 35% of your credit score is based on making your payments in time inside of a 30-day window. Make your payments inside of 30 days. That's great. That's the top tier. The next tier in this FICO pie chart, okay, is called revolving utilization or easily identified as amounts owed. That is what your credit card balance is in relation to what your credit limit is. Okay, and that's a tip that I'll always give people, which is, okay, you absolutely have to know your credit line amounts for your credit cards. It's a necessity. If you don't know your line amount, you're, you're, you're missing a huge piece of the puzzle. So let me just talk about these two pieces because it's really important before we move on. Great. Okay. So, you know, as far as that's concerned, okay, 35% is based on pay history. 30% is based on, okay, 30% is actually based on your amounts owed. Okay, which means you can make your payments on time for seven years. But if you're not managing your credit cards properly, you can never have a seven or an 800 credit score. So I see so many credit reports. I've been doing this. My company credit blueprint, A plus rated with the Better Business Bureau from the day that we opened the door seven years ago. Mm. I've looked at 50,000 credit reports. And that's one of the big things I see with people is I'm making my payments on time. And then I have this one credit card with Neiman Marcus where I charge it up. And then at the end of the month, I pay it off in full. I charge it up and then I pay it off in full. And they want to know why they can't get into that seven or that 800 club. And the, the answer lies in that second piece of the pie chart right there. So we look for 50% revolving credit or above. That is a lending criteria that we use in my office. So it's important for people to understand what Carl just said, because let's say that you have a, uh, and I'll make math easy. Let's say you have a $10,000 limit and you pay all your bills on time 
and you actually charge up the credit card to $8,000 a month, but you pay it off at the end of every month, right? You think you're not a credit criminal, and you're not, but you think you're doing everything right. The reality is, if the Bureau reports and the day we pull, we show that your $10,000 limit has $8,000 against it, you have 20% available. That's a problem for us, right? Can you expand on what I just said there a little bit further? 100%, yeah. Your revolving utilization at that point is 80%, which is what we just talked about. That's 30% of that FICO pie chart. So there's a big piece of the puzzle where you're losing points. You might lose, for example, if you're in an 80% utilization, you might be losing 80 points, 70 points, 60 points in that specific scenario, okay? So how, so what we've suggested to people is this, and again, your Neiman example is a little bit, um, maybe a little bit more challenging, but let's just say it's just standard Visa credit card. We would say to that customer, you have two things, three things really, sir. We might have to wait until that credit card reports that it got paid off. You may have to go back to the credit card company um, and, and ask them to increase the line from 10000 to 20000 because now we just fixed that 50%. Because now if we have 20000 available and we only used eight against it, I'm above the 50% number, right? Um, or you have to pay it off and not use it for the next 30 days so we can get a new fresh pull to see where we look. What, what, what is the strategy you give to someone who, again, they're using it, but they're paying it off every month, and they're not understanding this reporting timestamp utilization piece? You know, everybody's at different stages with their credit. Like, this is a game. Credit's a game that I like to teach people how to play. I just came out with an online course, Credit Cocking Online. You Hold on. Give, me the, give it to me again. I missed the second word. Credit what? Credit Cocky Online. <laughs> okay, got it. Got it. Cool. Uh, it's a do-it-yourself. I teach you guys. So it depends on where you're at with your credit. For example, let's say you're trying to buy a house. The strategy is if you got pre-approved today and you started shopping for houses and you were looking for a house and you're maybe going to close in September, the strategy would be to not charge those credit cards any higher. Well, first of all, pay them down to 10% utilization and then not charge any additional money on those cards until after closing. Okay. Really huge. Now, um, if you're someone that's in a different stage where you're playing the credit game, Matt, and you're going, listen, I want the best business and personal credit cards, okay? First thing you want to do is you want to get into that 800 FICO club. So the easiest tip that I could give someone is to call your credit card company and ask for a simple line increase. Mm -hmm. The higher the line amount, the higher your credit scores are going to go. Mm. So before you ask for that line increase, you want to make sure that your balance, right, is under 10% of the limit. Mm. Really, really huge. And, and Matt, ask every single credit card company that you have. If you got five of them, ask them all for a line increase. Um, one of my, um, my old business partners, that was really smart, graduated number one at Harvard, taught me a lot about credit, okay? And this guy had a couple hundred thousand dollars in credit cards. So if you think about this, Matt, right, years ago, People used to think like, you don't want all that available credit. That's not good for your credit. It was a myth. That's actually not true. 
you can have a million dollars on your personal credit report and still have an 800 FICO. Totally. I've seen it countless times. I've seen guys that have 200 grand in credit utilization and still pull 800 credit scores because that 200 grand might be 10 or 20% utilization. A hundred percent. So it depends on what, what part of the credit game are you playing? Are you acquiring assets? Are you buying a house? Are you playing the, what I like to call the credit card reward hack game? I'm going to flip this screen here, Matt, right here. That's Miami beach. I was able to take my family, my two young daughters, my wife and their friend on this vacation. And guess who paid for it? Yeah, your credit card <laughs> company. Press membership <laughs> rewards, because I was able to take, you know, my business run my expenses through my American Express Platinum, which I got with a 800 credit score. And then I was able to take those rewards, cash them in for an airplane ride for my family in this awesome hotel on this last minute vacation. Pretty cool. So uh, we've covered the two pieces of the pie so far, Carl. I think we're now somewhere around 60 or 65 percent. The first was what was it? 30 and the second was 35. Is that where we were? Yep. And so let's keep going on the pie. The third slice of the pie as far as getting good credit scores is? Well, 15% is length of credit history. Yeah. Okay. So that's a really important one. Once again, that depends where you're at with what you're trying to do with credit right now. So for example, length of credit history is an asset. So for example, if you have, let's say a credit card that is four years old, we see this every day with my company. If you have a credit card, let's say two credit cards that are four years old, and then you go and apply for a new credit card, you just took the average length from four years down to two years. Mm. That's going to tank your score. So that's a really big piece of the puzzle, which 15% of your score is based on the length of history. Now, it really only applies to you know, credit cards, okay? Revolving credit cards, okay? that makes sense? Yeah, it's to- totally 100% clear. And by the way, is it true that it, it will be difficult for you to get into that 800 credit score range without depth of time on the bureau? I mean, you, you're not going to be a college kid who just got a $500 visa and you've paid it perfectly and you have one trade line for the last six months and get an 800 score. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's huge. So there's, I just put a video out on Instagram saying that in order to go from 700 to the 800 FICO club, okay, what you need to do is you got to have credit cards that are eight to 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So it's very, it's almost impossible for, let's say a millennial to get into that 800 FICO club. If they don't have a credit card, that's eight to 10 years old. There is one trick you can go into someone else's, right? Your parents, you can go on as an authorized user, okay? As an authorized user, you can take all the history from mom or dad, and that can apply to your credit, which is exactly what I did with my 15-year-old daughter. Mm. So she's 15, you can't have credit until you're 18, right? So what I did was I already added her as an authorized user, I set her up with her own bank account. So when she turns 18, she's getting all of my history on a few credit cards. So boom, when she's 18, she's got 750, 800 credit scores right away. Got it. Okay, so we got three pieces of the pie done. Let's go to slice number four and slice number five. 
Yeah, they, they're really not that important. I mean, 10% is like a healthy mix. Okay. It's pretty simple. I mean, that's broken down into a mortgage, an auto loan, right? Oh, you mean uh, the type of credit? Exactly. Oh, okay. It's like a healthy mix. Mm. Yeah. So a healthy mix would mean the type of credit. Revolving utilizations, your credit cards. Installment loans would be vehicle. Your mortgage is another category. Uh, personal loans, student loans. You want to have a healthy mix. Mm. But you said just a small piece of the pie, right? Yep. And then we go to the one where I've heard people say before that inquiries don't matter. So inquiries are 10%. They're the last piece of this FICO pie chart, what we're putting together. So 10% is based on inquiries. That's, that's a hot topic, right? I think it's a big deal uh, because, look, we look at inquiries, and I always say it different. Everyone has a different way to say it. You call it inquiries. That's probably the, the right way to say it. I call it inquiries, whatever, tomato, okay. tomato. My point is we look at it very closely because it tells us who you're applying for credit with. And therefore, I get to see if we're early in the loan approval process, or if I'm late to the game. And if I'm late to the game through the inquiry uh, listing, I want to know what did the other guys say? Did they see something that we didn't see? Are you buying lots of equipment that we don't know about? We're only working on one truck, but you actually got 10 trucks in the works. So you're taking on a million dollars worth of debt, but we're only looking at you for a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. So I understand what we're talking about inquiries about the, 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 um, credit score slice of the pie, but I'm telling you, there's a lot more to it from the lender standpoint. hundred percent. I agree with that. So we're talking specifically about the FICO pie chart. Right? Yeah. FICO stands for the Fair Isaac company been around since 1952. It is the only credit score that matters when it comes to most lending decisions. That's what banks are pulling. They're pulling your FICO score, right? But I agree with you, Matt. So the inquiries has less of an impact on your actual FICO score the, the real the place that it has the impact is lenders. It's a compensating factor. It's going to hurt you if there's too many inquiries in the last six months if a bank is trying to approve you for funding. No doubt about it. Yeah, it's a huge deal. I mean, it's a major factor for us. By the way, one other thing that we've experienced in our repossessions um, over all these years of doing this, we've got pretty good data that tells us this. But the number one reason... That is across the board on deals that tank that we think are going to play or pay out is that credit utilization piece. People with maxed out credit cards have a far greater chance of tanking in our data reports than those that don't. So it's really important to understand where you are in that credit utilization piece. And we just covered the five slices of the pie. Let's talk about, Carl, because this is really what your company does. Not only do you do the education at Credit Blueprint, but you also help people fix it, right? So, so what, what do we got to do to start fixing our credit? We know where we got to get to. We know how the, the algorithm is generated. But how do we start to fix these problems? Depends on where you're at with your credit. If you're in that 500 club, right, that stage two I talk about, most likely you have collections and charge-offs on there that are kind of lingering around from the past that most people, they want to wait seven years for that stuff to go away. You know, we kind of have a rule with my company that the worst has, it's one of the first things that's part of our core value. The worst has to be behind you. 
I don't, I cannot work with someone that is currently going through someone that calls me and says, I just want to get rid of $30,000 in credit card debt. Mm -hmm. I can't help that person. I don't feel right morally helping them. Um, You know, I want to help the people that start the conversation or we are great. Let me rephrase that. We are great at helping people, right? That said, I went through something in 2014 where my health was off track. I lost my job and I let $30,000 in bills go, right? This is a good person who's going, I'm back at work now. Things are going good. How do we get rid of that stuff? So that's the first thing we'll do is we'll attack the credit bureaus with a letter campaign and we'll work on getting the negative things removed off the report. And, and what your, what your strategy connects to there, correct me if I'm wrong, but the credit reporting agencies must verify the debt on your credit report as accurate within a specific period of time, or they have to remove it. Is that, did I just describe that strategy properly? It is. It is. I, I got to talk about this. It's, it's an elephant in the room, and I feel like I need to talk about it. Great. So I'm going to go there, right? There's this stigma with credit repair companies that they're not good, that they're not honest. And I feel like that lies in kind of the question you're asking, which is most credit repair companies, the easy route, if you are going to start a credit repair company, or if you just want to have the easiest route to try to fix credit overnight, that's to get negative things off of a credit report. The real value is in educating people, right? How do you fix credit? How do we educate them on what they can do moving forward? And how do they maintain that credit? That, that's where the stigma comes because that's what most companies do. It's a numbers game, that, right? For example, let's say we look at a credit report where there's 10 collection accounts on there. And each of them are worth five points, right? If we get 50% of those removed, that's great. You just took a 575 and you moved it to a 600. You still have a lot of room for growth. How do we take that 600 and turn it into an 800? And that's what, that's what really motivated me when I started this company because I see companies doing it the wrong. It's all they do. They charge for deleted trade lines, and there's so much more to credit. Yeah, uh, and, and really the thing, we have not talked about it, but I know you're passionate about it, is that the mindset that is attached with bad credit can literally cripple someone and not just financially, but it can cripple them emotionally, character, decision-making, self-worth. There's a tremendous amount of mindset connected to the credit. A hundred percent. I mean, a hundred percent. I actually remember, you know, I founded this company seven years ago. This is a crazy story, but I found that I had, when I went from the old credit repair company, which I was a partner of to my new company, I actually lost a house. Mm -hmm. I had to leave. I had to stop making payments on a house in order to start credit blueprint. I had a repo and a foreclosure and I was starting a credit repair company. So, you know, stuff happens, life happens. I had to let things go. Um, And I was in a bad place. I remember still taking vacations my first year. And it, I was just in a really, really bad space. That's a lot of the customers that we deal with is they're just feeling like there is no light at the end of the tunnel, feeling like they have to wait seven years um, or one of the biggest myths out there, right? Depending upon what state you're in, you need to know the statute of limitations. For example, in Pennsylvania, if you didn't pay a bill from four years ago, that collector has no legal right to try to collect on that debt anymore. 
I'm, I'm so, glad you brought that up, man. Let's stay on that for just a little bit because because when the original creditor charges it off and sells it to the collection agency for 20 cents on the dollar, whatever the number is, right? Then does that collector then have the ability legally to collect on that debt and restart the clock of reporting? Help us understand that. Uh, they can do that. Yeah, they can re-report it like it's brand new, but those are the easiest things. That's how you get, because technically that's a debt that you owe, Yeah. but it's in the inaccurate way that they are reporting it. That small little piece that they are reporting that, let's say it's a debt from 2016 and they're reporting it like it's brand new in January, 2018. Technically, that's a violation of the Fair Credit Reporting Act. That's a pretty easy account to get removed from the report. That's debt validation, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, where you go back to the creditor and you say, prove that I owe it based on the way you've been reporting it. And that makes it hard for them to do. Is that, is that the right way or is that the wrong way to describe that? Not the way we do it. So great question, right? So what we're going to do uh, we deal directly with the credit bureaus, not the actual creditor. Mm. There's just, I, I've really streamlined our process because the Fair Credit Reporting Act is protecting the consumer. So if we go to the credit bureaus, they want to do their own due diligence. I don't want to deal with the creditor and have to talk to a million people and have my, it's, it's really a pain. So the easiest route, the shortest route, the streamlined route is to use the Fair Credit Reporting Act and go directly to the credit bureaus, have them do their due diligence, which 90% of the time, that creditor doesn't even respond to the credit bureaus, and we're able to get the thing removed, and the scores go up because of it. So it's really a two-prong approach. One, it's, it may be more than that, but we got to understand where are you currently, and then we've got to strategize on what are we going to do to clean some of it up, and then we've got to rebuild a new mindset to how we handle credit, we address credit, and we address um, probably some of our lifestyle, right? I mean, there's a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of your clients have money. They generate decent income, but they spend it all. A hundred percent. So that's a tough client to sort of switch because because the husband might want to switch it and the wife's like, he, he, I'm not changing anything. Just make more money. Just make more money, right? Right. I mean, and that's legit too, though, by the way. I mean, earning more income does fix a lot of the problems. I, I, I mean, I, you know, that's a huge argument that I have, which is that I'm not so sure that lifestyle does always need to change. Most of the time, earnings need to change. We keep the lifestyle the same, and if we earn 100% more, then life just got a hell of a lot better, you know? Yeah, man, I don't want to change my lifestyle. That's man. my point. That's exactly right. More money. That's... So I'm dead with that. When I see these credit repair companies in, like, the, the finance business, I'm going – I don't know if you want to hear my advice because my advice is go make some more money, man. Don't change. I don't want to change my lifestyle. I love my lifestyle. Yeah, it's so true, man. It really is. Okay, so uh, a couple real quick strategies that someone can do. We've already addressed a few of them. Number one is go to your creditors and ask for an increase in the line. What yeah. else can somebody do? Besides a line increase, we talked about getting added as an authorized user. If yeah. you're younger, so you can try to get into that club. Um, that's really a good one. You know, another tip would be to show the bank the ability that you need a larger line. I'll give you an example. Let's say you have like a $5,000 credit card. Okay. Um, if you could charge that card up and then pay it off the next day and then do that a couple times within 30 days, by the time you go back to them, you'll say it's, it's an easy sell. 
you're talking to a customer service rep, like make them, let them know you're a human being. You know, I'm always on the phone with my credit cards, like all the time, always trying to get line increases and trying to see what kind of offers and stuff like that. You know, I have fun with that game. Uh, But once you say, Hey, listen, in this month, I charged up, you know, $20,000 and I paid it off or whatever. Maybe it's $2,000 a bunch of times that you charged it up and paid it off inside of 30 days. This is very easy for you to go back to that credit card company and say, hey, instead of a $2,000 or $20,000 line, I'd like thirty dollars or $40,000. Yeah, look at my history. Pull my account. And now let's talk turkey. 100%. All right. So one last thing, though, that I hear a lot in my office, and I want the audience to, to – to, because there's going to be some naysayers that are like, yeah, it all sounds good, but I'm good because my banker does everything I need. I hear it all the time. And my response to that is, look, you have a 625, and yes, your banker does do everything, and yeah, maybe the bank is giving you good terms until your banker moves to another bank or gets fired or your bank, your local community bank, gets bought out by a big, large, publicly traded bank, and all of that relationship goes out the window, my friend. So despite the fact that you may currently be good because your banker gives you whatever you want, it's still not really the mindset of the players. You got to have multiple relationships with many banks. And here's when you got to have those relationships, Matt, when you don't need the money, right? Everybody tries to get money when they don't have any money, right? But how easy it is to get banks to lend you money. If you have multiple relationships with banks or people on, in the outside world, when you don't need the money, that's the key. So establish the relationships early, okay? That's huge. Yeah, I got it. Well, my friend, listen, I'm going to let you get back to your vacation in Miami, but any takeaway for the audience? Number one, it's called creditblueprint.com. .net. .net. Sorry, they can find you. Give me the uh, website to the online uh, program that you just launched. Yeah, we just built it on Lightspeed VT. It's uh, Credit Cocky Online, the landing page to get instant access to that. Okay, great. Let's give the audience just one last takeaway, a little seeky-seeky, a bonus tip that it's really for the people who really get it, Carl, just the the ones that really want to win with credit. You want to win the credit game. Besides the line increases and the 8 to 10 years, you know, which we already talked about, Um, We also talked about having multiple, multiple credit cards. Like you could never have enough credit cards with high credit limits. We talked about getting into these banks early, establishing relationships. I would talk about managing your inquiries. So depending upon, I, I always do that. I'll be very aggressive with my credit pools or my inquiries. By the way, that's how we say inquiries in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so I'll be very aggressive with my inquiries when I know that I'm playing this credit card reward game. For example, in a 30-day window, I'll get a whole bunch of inquiries that if they report right, should only count as one inquiry if they report in the same bucket. So I'll do like 20 inquiries in this 30-day window, and then what I'll do is I'll take a vacation from pulling my credit for three or four months, and eventually I'll start to get the points back because the inquiries will start to age. The older they are, the less impact they have, and then the fact that I got the larger line amounts, we know that's 30% of the score, and then eventually your score is higher than where you first started. When, when everyone panics because the scores drop right away. 
So be aggressive in a short period of time with your inquiries and then take a vacation. I love it. Let me give you let me give you one strategy that I've used for a lot of years that I think the, the audience would benefit from as well when it comes to this. Um, having good credit and the strength of having good credit allows me to, when I'm shopping for something, let's say I'm shopping for uh, an auto loan. I just uh, just got a Tesla, um, which, by the way, is a dumb car. It's it it's it's stupidly expensive for the type of car. Hmm. That's my opinion of it. I love the car because I feel like I'm driving the future and it sort of keeps me thinking about what's ahead, what's going on, right? It keeps me in the future. But the reality is the cost for the coolness of the car to me is not even close. It's, it was a dumb purchase in that regard, right? So anyway, that's just my stance on, on Tesla. I do think it's a great car, a cool company. They're totally futuristic. When I get back into my Tahoe, I'm like, God, I'm going back and I feel like Fred Flintstone, right? But, but it ain't worth the money. That's what I would say. But, but here's the deal. When you know you've got good credit, to your point, you do not need to submit credit applications. So when the person on the other side, whether it's the banker or the finance guy at the dealership or whatever, says, hey, I need your credit application, I say, listen to me, you will have no issue with my credit whatsoever. I need your numbers before you see my numbers. And that allows me for not getting shopped all over town, and it controls my application process. And for those who don't want to play that game, they're like, well, I can't give you my best numbers. So I said, listen to me. Maybe you didn't hear me. You will have no issue with the credit. I, the issue is I need your numbers. That's the definition. What you just said is the definition of my phrase credit cocky. When you walk into a dealership, your chest is out, and you – are calling the shots. You are going to decide if you're going to do business with them. So, bam, I love that. Yeah, it's exactly right. That's why I, now I understand where the name came from, and I totally get it because it is that. Um, it is it is the reversal of the power, and that's really powerful. So, all right, buddy, great to have you on today. I appreciate you very much. Get back to the family, hit the beach, enjoy yourself, and I'll see you all down the road. That's our episode this week with your host, Matt Monero. Check us out every Friday at 12 p.m. Central as we discuss money, your life, and how you need more money.